I'm glad that the disciples understood. I personally could do without the weeping and gnashing of teeth part. James was the sort of congregation member that folks took pleasure in warning you about. In my first church, I heard about James before I met him. He was a self-described evangelist. And he was in his 90s when I met him. In the era of Billy Graham, he had been uh, on the phone bank during Billy Graham's uh, evangelist uh, crusades. James was convinced that his role was to help bring in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was clear and present. It was composed of the number of people who had prayed the Jesus prayer, thus accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jim was a career military officer and engineer, and so he had a keen mind. He was the only person I have ever met who the Jehovah's Witnesses, on their map, his house had been marked with an X, do not go there. There be dragons. He, he loved to argue, and he would invite folks who came to the door, who most of us would turn away. He'd invite them in, and they would go at it. But he did, he did firmly believe that the kingdom of God could be accomplished by anyone. And he, as a good engineer, he had, uh, he had outlined the process and he had put it on the back of a note card that he, he printed up himself. On the back of the note card was the method, and on the front was the prayer. And he would bring them to church and hand them out. He would create evangelists and new Christians. By the time I had met him, he had been kindly, very pastorally, asked to stop bringing the cards to church. As he would occasionally interpret one long, interrupt one time long member to be sure they were in fact saved. It is true that James and I shared not one shred of theology together. <laughs> and it, it reminds me of uh, one of John Wesley's quotes, which I, I think would be good for us, and I may bring it up more often. Wesley said in a letter to a, a Catholic, he said, If we cannot think all alike, we can surely all love alike. And it was the case that James and his wife were beloved. Apparently, we could, over the years, love alike because they became one of the closest encouragers and supporters of my, memory, of my ministry. But indeed, the kingdom of God is not what we expect. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of, God, of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it becomes the greatest of shrubs and even a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. It is perhaps the best known of Jesus' parable, any, even city folks. 
who may not never have been to the Bible or been to the country know what know, know about the mustard seed. It's a part of our cultural heritage. And there is not a Billy Graham evangelist or a pastor looking over the church in the summer who's not imagined the glory of the tiny seed matured into a great tree by Easter. <laughs> we all hope that the future of our church or of the church at large is to be the great mega church, the tree in the center or Christian or in the opening hymn, which was written by Harry Emerson Fosdick in that era, they imagined this to be the Christian century, the great tree in which Christianity would come save the world. The mustard seed is tiny, and it's clear that this is a comparison of lesser become greater. However, as I and throughout my ministry, I, every three years when I come across this parable, I very I usually have preached it that way of the lesser thing becoming the greater thing. There is for us great hope, and there was in the in the first century a small band of bumbling disciples who became a movement that would change, would indeed change the world. And so there is, that's preachable. But the problem is that, A, a mustard seed isn't in fact the smallest of all seeds. There is smaller seeds. And anyone farmer in the time would know better that the mustard is not a great tree. It's a shrub. <laughs> and it's not so much... Uh, Embraced for the glory of the great mustard tree, but for the fact that once sown in your field, it was really hard to get rid of. <laughs> so the kingdom of God, we come to think of it as a great tree in which all the world's peoples can nest, but you go home with this parable and think about it more clearly, and we're actually looking at a, a shrub, <laughs> a weed in the field. Are we, is this parable teaching us that we are long to be this great tree? Or is it, or are our churches weeds in the fields? You know, I'm not sure. I'll let you take that home. And you come back and tell me next week what you think. Part of the role of, I think, in modern literary theory or philosophy, you might consider parables to be deconstructionists. They're sort of, they're sort of thorns in the side of our, our reason, and they're supposed to sort of make us think or deconstruct our worldview. And I think this is the way, in, go back and, I would now go back and probably correct all the sermons I have written on this, but I, I think we are meant to mull over that idea that to, to the world the church may look like a, a shrub in the field, even though we call it to be some great tree. There might be hope in that. I don't know. Good luck with that. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. At first glance, another parable of lesser to greater things, a small amount of yeast leavened to make 
into the whole loaf as is baked in bread. The couple of interesting things about this, <clears throat> for those that sadly were against gender-inclusive language, note that in this uh, parable, God is a woman. It's why this, this verse is one of the reasons why we, in fact, have our own image of God has been deconstructed to recognize both the, the female and the male in God. Besides that, Yeast in that era was not considered a good thing, but something that corrupted. Something that, in, where unleavened bread was more pure than leavened bread. And so leaven was something that, that was spoiled. So it was a spoiled part of bread that was set aside then to bake leavened bread. But not, other ways in scripture, it's not a negative, positive thing, but a negative. Also, to make matters worse, the NRSV masks uh, another problem in the, ver- in, in the verse is that although it's translated the yeast is mixed with, actually the Greek says she hides the yeast. Now that, that actually then again throws us for a loop. One more problem. She's not baking uh, a couple loaves for Sunday. When I when I grow up, that was, that was still the practice in some houses. They, they would make bread for the week. Uh, and it wasn't that sort of thing because three measures of flour was actually 50 pounds of flour, which would bake enough to feed 100. So she, in this huge amount of flour is hidden the kingdom of God like yeast, something that has been spoiled and then blesses the whole world. It's not really a parable of the kingdom. It's a parable of the whole world. And the odd thing is I'm not entirely sure why, but God hides God's word in the world. The world, the word is hidden leaven in the bread. Interesting. This week, as I read these parables and compared them, I like having multiple scripture readings, even when they're not intentionally matched, because you'll hear, if it's done, scripture being scripture, there'll be relevant echoes in the passages. And today, this week, this, this strange images of the kingdom are set alongside this also famous story of Jacob's ladder. We probably know the story from Jacob's ladder. Jacob, I'll have a sermon next week that will more that will sort of embrace and tighten up all of Jacob's journey. But Jacob here is on the run. This isn't a happy moment in Scripture. He has just essentially robbed, stolen. Uh, the family blessing from his brother Esau. Esau is enraged, and Jacob runs in exile, fear for his life. It's not a place that Jacob or us expect to find, the king, find God's presence. 
And so in, in the midst of what was probably a difficult night's haunted sleep, which will not be the last time we encounter this, Jacob has this vision, a vision of the traffic between earth and heaven, a ladder and angels ascending and descending. Our image of Jacob's ladder is really about ascent, but really the point of the passage is descent, that in the remarkably unique image of God that the people of Israel gave birth to is not us ascending to God, but God descending to us. In fact, we might go back to that parable of the, of the yeast and the dough, and it seems that God is present all through the world, not just in the church. You can't separate God from the world. God is in the, God's word is in the midst of the world everywhere. Not hidden only in the... Why the word is hidden, I'm not sure. Why the word of God isn't present, obviously present in the world when we would prefer it to be, is not entirely sure. Perhaps we are meant to struggle with it a bit. Find God's word in the places in life where we least expect it. But certainly out beyond the church, God's word is at work leavening the loaf. God is present in the church, churches that are, might appear to the world like shrubs. <laughs> Whatever work that is in the world that the world looks upon as a weed still is enough for the birds of the, of the field to nest in as a gift. Last time I met James... I had been reappointed to another church, but this visit, this last visit with him sticks in my mind. He had finally had been in, in the nursing home for a while due to some back fractures. And I walked into the room, and he was not the great tree of a man he had once been. But as I walked in, he smiled. It was a smile with a genuine joy in his heart. And I will forever be blessed by that smile. I remember it even today in moments where I go out in ministry in places where I do not expect to find God. Did not necessarily expect to find God ultimately in James when I first came to the church. We, I did not agree with him about anything. Yet over time, God was leavening the loaf of our lives with a relationship that had nothing to do with what the church thinks the kingdom of God is. And so I walked into that place, and surely, in that, just in that smile, surely the presence of the Lord was the traffic in that moment between earth and heaven. Maybe that has something to do with the parables, maybe not. Parables of the kingdom. The word hidden in the world, out for us to find, present for us even in our wilderness moments. The word hidden in the church, 
growing into what we conceive to be a great tree. It may, we may yet appear to the world like a weed in the field, but we are bringing God's word when we allow ourselves to be a community of grace and hope. That's all I've got. Parables of the kingdom. Take them home with you. Mull them over. They'll cause you to think. And to God alone be the glory, now and forever. Amen.